all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> that wasn't even close to a hello. It was hola. <laughs> oh. I, I, it was oh, okay. technically a hola. Okay. So I had to do something to mix it up. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Um, Housekeeping. Uh, you guys are listening to us a lot. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. There's been a... Quite the... Oh, no. Don't sit on the papers, Jess. Come on. Um, there's been quite the uptick in listens lately, so... Well, there, and, had, there has been the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Months. Yeah, in general. Yeah, we've we've experienced a steady growth rate. Um, and that's not because of us <laughs> advertising or anything like that. Um, I've been trying to get better at social media, um, at All Bad Things Pod, Insta, Twitter, Facebook... Um, all the social meds. All the social meds and at gmail.com. I uh, created a Facebook group but didn't invite anyone to join because I can't figure out what the purpose of it is. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. So. Like, why not just have a page? Like, what's the difference? I don't know. I don't know either. Apparently, I'm too old of a millennial for that. And <laughs> also, I can't figure out Instagram stories, like what the purpose of an Instagram story is. Yeah, because every time I go to that, it asks me to update mine, and I'm like, what are you talking really? about? Yeah. Oh, I'm, mine I'm like, doesn't. It'll show, but... I'm like, I just put pictures up occasionally. What story yeah, do I... I, yeah. I don't know. Apparently, like, I actually Googled what is the purpose of an Instagram story, which you know you're too old for Instagram when you have to Google that. Apparently, it's supposed to be kind of like Snapchat. Where it, it only lasts for 24 hours or something. But then I don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it's out there and people can apparently like share and send it and stuff. And you can... I don't get it. So somebody younger than us, please explain. So I just put something up today. <laughs> this will not become the older people trying to figure out the internet <laughs> podcast. I, I put up an Instagram story just for the heck of it. Um... Uh, today, and it just is, it just says, help us understand what the purpose of this is. I don't think this is it. <laughs> yeah, I don't Sounds think this effective. is the purpose. Yeah. So, um, but yes, uh, rate, review, rescribe on all of the platforms. Uh, we got a great, uh, double dose of reviews last week where, uh, <laughs> on the same day, we got a very nice five-star review calling us delightful and then a one-star review calling us <laughs> racist. But get this, anti-white racist. So um, somebody thought that we were really good until we started saying that people were racist because they were from the South, which, first of all, we did not say. And um, second of all, if you think that there's anti-white racism in America... Feel free to stop listening and feel free to give us a one-star review. We're cool with that. <laughs> I'm frankly, I'm glad that person is not listening anymore. So yeah, yeah. But uh, but the delightful one was nice. Yes, it was. It was. Delightful. There was another one on top of it that looked like it was a bad one, but you didn't <laughs> let me see it. I didn't so. <laughs> because I don't think it's productive. The thing is, I just think it's funny. I, I agree. I agree. But I mean, uh, it's. We we like reviews. We we do. We're not. Try I just literally just asked you guys to review us, and then I'm like complaining about everyone who's <laughs> reviewed. That sounds mean. But the thing is, like, the th and I I believe this with all podcasts. You know, this is free media, free content, and in our case, like, we're not sponsored, so there's not even commercials to zip through or whatever, fast forward through. But um, we're not sponsored yet. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> 
I know you want sponsorship. I don't. So it's a little bit of a tension there, but we're not big enough to have to worry about no, it. No, we don't have to worry about it. Um, I want my Casper mattress. <laughs> but we're always open to constructive feedback, especially if it's like, oh, hey, your audio really sucked this episode or something like the levels were off or whatever. Or, or something technical, like, we're totally cool with that. And I actually appreciate our regular listeners' feedback, like um, when we had the Drunk Rachel episode. A lot of people <laughs> were saying they really liked it, but one of our longtime listeners, Teddy, was like, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't love Drunk Rachel. <laughs> um, it gets old after a little while. And I was like, well, thanks. I, I actually, and I mean that. Like, I appreciated that, and I actually agreed with her. So, um, I appreciate, like, our, our lis- regular listeners, like, giving us feedback because I feel like that's, that's who appreciates us in the first place. You know, if some rando listens in one episode and, de- one episode and decides they don't like us, then fine. <laughs> but I'm not going to give a shit. But if one of our regulars is feeling, like, ostracized or driven uh, driven off then i'd like to know about that sure you know yes am i going on too long about this that's okay <laughs> okay um anyway uh, do you have any items of housekeeping i don't think so no all right um one one more little uh thing and sh- another shout out to we drink and we know things who i mentioned i think last podcast or last episode or maybe the one before that i think it was the one before okay um i have listened to them they're very funny very conversational um and i've also gotten to chat with andrea it's andrea and tom they are married which i was speculating about a couple of um episodes ago and they got married the day that we had our wedding reception yeah you told me that Yeah, yeah which is which is fun um and yes, they're super nice. Absolutely give them a listen. If you like the the sort of conversational tone that we tend to have, you'll like them. And if you like last podcast on the left, I think you'll like them too. Because they cover like um, the one ep- the episode I listened to, they were covering cryptids and the Pope Lake Monster, <laughs> which is just I a funny just, name. I, but I don't know what either of those things <laughs> yeah. are. Cryptids are like... Um, yeah, the Yeti and the Obama, uh, uh, Bigfoot and, you know, like... Chupacabra, okay, and those thi- those like mythical creatures that, but some people think they might be really out there, Loch Ness monster, that sort of thing. So, um, and this week's, uh, so they are out of Kentucky, and this week's episode happens to have a tie-in to Kentucky. Okay, so, um, I'm going to segue right in to this week's topic. Um, which I, I banged out the research in like an hour and a half, just busted that shiz out. I don't, <laughs> I was very inspired. <laughs> what? I don't think I've ever heard you say busted that shiz out before. I say it literally every day to myself when I finish something at work. I'm like, just going to bust this shiz out. I don't know. <laughs> it's my own little saying, I guess. But, um, so this this is going to be a little different. Um, I'm not going to give a ton of info up top because this is a lot less um, linear the way that we usually present, you know, so I usually give like the death toll and exactly what happened like in a succinct manner and then the background, the disaster and the aftermath. This week's uh, topic is going to be a lot more narrative so more of like the story of the disaster itself. So I'm not going to give you a ton of information up top because I think that's going to help the story unfold more in a more interesting way. Okay. All right. So well, let's get into it. Yes, let's let's do. So this week's episode is about Air Canada Flight 797. Okay. So does this ring a bell? Anyway, yeah. uh-uh. it didn't with me either. I, I read about it as like an aside in in something I was reading and looked into it and found it really fascinating. So on June 2nd, 1983, so almost exactly 35 years ago, 23 people aboard Air Canada Flight 797 were killed. So I'm leaving it deliberately vague because, like I said, this is going to kind of unfold as we go. Okay. All right. 
So uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, 797, Flight 797 was a commercial flight, as it names, its name suggests, was you know, for Air Canada. It was a McDonnell Douglas DC-932, which is basically like a domestic carrier jet. So nothing too big. Um, it's a single aisle plane. So kind of like the kind of plane, like if we go down to my, well, you haven't flown down to Miami. No, I haven't. But those, the, uh, we, we have flown here from <laughs> I, D.C. I, I have flown from here to Baltimore. Yes. And mm-hmm. took, it's, you know, those little small, they're jets. Yeah. But they're, yeah. you know. Yeah, they're not puddle jumpers or no. anything. But they're, although I've been on my fair share of those, too. See, I never have, and I think I'd be pretty I scared. I don't think I'm ever going to again at this point in my life. Was that the really scary flight, or was that a different one? The one no, that, that, was, that was the really scary flight. But that was, at that time, that was really... When I was living in Greenville, South Carolina at the time, pretty much any time I was flying back to New York, it was always a puddle hopper, yeah. puddle jumper to uh, Pittsburgh. Was oh. was really pretty much always where my uh, connection was. But yeah. Um, yeah, I did think I was going to die on a plane <laughs> one time. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it that bad. Certainly some some turbulent flights, but... I can imagine turbulence oh, was, in a small plane probably feels awful. This was turbulence, and my seat was uh, right next to the engine, right next to the propeller. <laughs> and I, I want to say, like, a flight from Greenville to Pittsburgh took, like, maybe an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 40 minutes, something like that. But that plane did not sit still. It was going up and down, side to oh, side. Oh, God. I was for flying home for... Time? Yes, I was flying home for Christmas. And I was just trying so hard to be like, okay... Like, if you fall asleep, like, it'll all be over. Just fall asleep. Just fall asleep. And every time I would start to fall asleep, like, because I'm sitting right next to the propeller, Mm -hmm. so that's all I can hear. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, I wouldn't hear it for, like, two seconds, and I would just be like, (laughs) and I would look right out, and I was like, please tell me that the thing is still, yeah. Uh, So basically, by the time I got to Pittsburgh, I smoked, like, a half a pack of cigarettes in a half hour and had numerous drinks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and was really contemplating because the plan I was going to get on to go because I think this time I was actually flying into Messina. Oh wow, geez! And I and I I know I remember that the plane that I was getting on was smaller than the one I'd just gotten <laughs> off. So, <laughs> so you needed to be pretty much hammered to get on that. Oh yeah, the next flight. Yeah, I needed. What you I, I needed to be in good shape. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. But that's that's the only really. We, we hit pretty bad turbulence coming back from New York yes. a couple years ago, but yeah. that's really the only time I was ever, like, scared yeah. on a plane. Yeah, I get scared by just even small turbulence, so I don't think my um, my judgment is very good on it. I've gotten a lot better. I've become a lot better flyer. You have you to have. admit that. Yes. I've um, become worse somehow. Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> um, but uh, once... When I was flying, I flew from here to Boston for my Berkeley audition, and my dad came with me, so he and I flew, and my dad loves turbulence. He says it's fun. Yeah. He is a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, thank you. And I don't think it was all that turbulent. There was definitely some turbulence, but I think it was very much heightened by the fact that I was a nervous wreck about the audition. Sure. So I was just already all sorts of out of sorts. And add to that the turbulence. I, I'm pretty sure I like clung to my dad's arm the whole descent. I remember it being kind of bumpy. So, well, this was worse. <laughs> no, no, actually, well, we'll get to it. So, well, this results in death. So it's definitely worse. Well, that, yes, no, yes, nobody, yes, yes, yes. Nobody died on your. <laughs> On your flight to Boston, I'm <laughs> pretty sure. That's true. Um, so anyway, domestic plane, not very big. When It's not meant to be a long-haul plane, obviously. Um, DC-9s, just a little bit of history. They are produced from 1965 to 1982, so they had just stopped producing them prior to this flight. Um, it was built to be a workhorse, so it was meant to put in a large number of short-haul flights. And uh, the 32s, so this was a DC-9-32, uh, were part of the Series 30 line, which was meant to be a competitor of the 737 from, for Bo- from Boeing. And it could carry 115 passengers, so that was the, the passenger load. That's a 
That's a decent amount of people yeah, to carry. Yeah, it's not, not a tiny amount. No. Um, so, Flight 797 was being piloted by Captain Donald Cameron, who was a veteran with Air Canada. Even at the time, he had been with the airline for 17 years, so he was no newbie. Very experienced. He had 13,000 flight hours under his belt. Now, I do not know what is normal, but that seems like many, many hours. Seems like a lot. Yeah. And more than a third of those hours was in DC-9s. So he was used to these flights. And the first officer was Claude Wimay, uh, which is, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's, I I almost said zero as a letter. (laughs) It's O. Is, wait, is it O-U-I-M-E-T? Yes. Yeah, it's perfect. We May. Yeah. Did you know people named We May? Yeah. We May or We, we May? Yeah, We May makes sense. Some, I've heard some people pronounce it We Met, We May. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, you But know, French, you would assume, yeah, yeah We May. Yeah. Um, we May, We May not. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I imagine that Mr. We May was uh, Canadian. <laughs> that would be my guess, French-Canadian. Pretty good guess. Uh, so Wimei was 34, but he had already been flying with Air Canada for 10 years, so he had gotten into um, flying pretty young, and he logged over 5,000 hours of flight time, with about half of that being in DC-9s. So that's just to set the stage for... The, these were experienced pilots, sure. especially with this aircraft. So now we get into the flight. So Flight 797 took off from the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport at 4.25 p.m. local time, uh, which was Eastern. Or maybe, maybe I shouldn't assume. I forget if Dallas, Dallas Dallas would be Central, Central. right? Okay, so it it wasn't local time. It was 4.25 Eastern time. On June 2nd, 1983, and it was headed toward Toronto International Airport, where it would connect before its final destination at Dorval Airport in, do you know? Or Dorval? Sounds familiar. Montreal. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure I've flown in there. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I've flown into Montreal several several times. Yeah. Um, So I promised this in the past that I'm going to get more into U.S. geography for our non-U.S. listeners. So for those who don't know, DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, is in Texas, which is in the southern part of our country, but central east to west. Um, And it... It, the airport itself is basically between the two gigantic cities of Dallas and Fort Worth. I'm pretty sure that the Dallas-Fort Worth area is like one of the larger metropolitan statistical areas. I think areas it in is. The US. I think it's yeah, like, like a top five. There. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, a lot of people uh, live there. And and as far as Texas goes, Dallas-Fort Worth is sort of like northeasternish Texas, not too far from Oklahoma, which is to its north. Um. So they were traveling to Toronto International, uh, which is currently called, now called, Toronto Pearson International Airport. And do you know what the Toronto Airport's uh, call letters are? Uh-uh. No, that didn't have a terrible clue. <laughs> was, it was a terrible clue. Was that American Bandstand? What no, was that? No, <laughs> it was Rush. It was YYZ. Oh, okay. That's their airport code? That's the airport code. That's what they named that song after, that instrumental from Moving Pictures after Rush. I think you have. told me that Yeah, before. it's yeah. an airport code, YYZ. It's a well-known um, and well-respected Rush piece. And remember we were talking about tritones? Mm-hmm. I was talking about... Um, uh, Pearl Jam uses a tritone a lot. That opening interval is a tritone. It's like a weird. It's a. It sounds weird together, and that's that's a tritone. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and thus concludes the, the Berkeley the music the, class. <laughs> you can take her out of Berkeley, but you can't, can't take the Berkeley out of her. <laughs> um. Anyway, Toronto is uh, is in Canada, so it's. Much farther north, and it's east also of uh, Dallas and, and the airport. Uh, Toronto is in the southern part of Canada, pretty far east, a little northeast of Detroit, Michigan, and just a little northwest of Buffalo, New York. In fact, when I looked at the map, I was a little shocked at how close to Buffalo it was. Oh, yeah, it's right across the it's lake. It's really close, yeah. yeah. Which which lake is that? Uh, which Erie. Erie, okay. Um, then they were going to move on to Montreal, which was a little bit northeast of Toronto, just north of the border between New York and Vermont. 
So there's our geography lesson. <laughs> U.S. geography. And U.S. and Canada, our North American geography lesson. Yes. And for anybody who doesn't know, Toronto is essentially the New York City of Canada. Right. I really want to go there. <clears throat> it's not the capital, just like New York City is not. Right. Um, but it is their financial and entertainment hub. The capital of Toronto? No, no, no. Toronto is not I mean, the sorry, capital the cap- of Canada. Yeah, sorry, the capital of... <laughs> I was thinking the province. The capital of Ontario. Is it the capital of Ontario? I honestly don't know. Ottawa is the capital of Canada. Ottawa. Ottawa. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't know if the provinces provinces have their. I'm sure they do they have, have capitals, capital. right? I would I think so. Honestly, don't know. Canadian listeners, let us know. <laughs> something I feel like I should know, but I just don't. right. You're you're almost Canadian. Hey. Well, yeah. So, um, we are going. So that that's it for the main geography. Although. We are going to have to get a little bit more into geography because Flight 797 did not make it to its first or its final destination. Mm. Never made it to Canada. Now, so the um, DC-932 had a capacity of 115 passengers. Well, on this flight, there were only 41 passengers on board, which is kind of hard to imagine That doesn't these really days. happen anymore. Not no. really. It's pretty rare for there to be room on flights. Yeah. It, I, I've had it happen occasionally over the mm-hmm. past couple of years, but hardly ever. And it when used I, to be way more Oh, common. yeah. When I, when I was flying all the time about, you know... When I first moved to the southeast, I, I don't think I can't remember ever being on a plane that was full. Yeah. Now, it, now I can't remember being on a plane that wasn't full. Right. Yeah. I. I mean, I imagine it's just well, it, it was the efficiency. It's it was the economics of the yeah. flight industry. Yeah. Yeah. That makes like sense. a, it, I saw some like if they don't have booked completely booked flights, they'll lose money on that flight. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I could see that. I'm. I imagine it's a. Expensive business. So. Oh yeah. Um. So anyway, so there was a lot of room on this plane. So I would imagine that would make the flight more comfortable for everybody. Sure. You know, it's always nice when you're not jammed in there like sardines. And the first part of the flight went just fine, which is usually how these stories start, except when there's an issue on takeoff, obviously. But um, then. Around 6.51 p.m. Eastern Time, so it was about two and a half hours into the flight, uh, because it started, yes, at 4.25 Eastern, uh, the pilots heard a popping sound during dinner service. So a couple things here. One, there's dinner service <laughs> on, a, on a domestic flight. Well, I, it's technically international, but all short haul and just to Canada, but... Like, that that's pretty crazy that they were serving food. I barely remember, like, getting served food on an aircraft, and it was like a sandwich circa just pre-9-11. Yeah, I'm not sure. I... <sighs> I've never I've never really flown any long distances, so I don't um, I don't remember if I ever have either. Probably yeah. probably not. Who knows? Yeah. But it makes me really jealous of all yeah. their flights. Dinner service. <laughs> um, and then the second thing to note is I would imagine that any sort of popping sound or bang or crash or any sort of onomatopoeic sound. Uh, onomatopoeic sound. Can that be plural? I don't know. <laughs> can that can that be a, an, an adjective? Um, anyway, I imagine any onomatopoeia would not be a good thing to hear on a flight. But these are experienced pilots. They did not panic. Not only because they were very well trained, but because apparently... It wasn't uncommon at the time for the circuits in the onboard lavatories in the bathrooms to pop, especially after a meal, which is gross. Oh, well, (laughs) yeah. So this is because the lavatory gets used heavier after a meal service. So ew, but nature, I guess. Um, So Captain Cameron, we're going to get to know everybody's names really well here. Captain Cameron gave the circuits a few minutes to cool off before he tried to reset them at 6.59 p.m., so like eight minutes later. It didn't really work, though, because the breaker just popped right back out. So it was like, okay, something's going on with like the electricity in the, in the lavatory. 
Within a minute or two, so around 7 p.m., a passenger in the very back of the plane, the last row, flagged down flight attendant Judy Davis- Davidson and told her that they smelled something weird in the back of the plane. Uh, Judy followed the smell to the lavatory in the back of the plane. Now, probably she wasn't too eager to investigate a smell in the bathroom. But she tried to, the, the door was closed, um, but she, and she tried to, like, crack it open. I, I don't know if it said that it was occupied or not, or if it even, uh, uh, this is an older plane, so it may not have looked the same. You know, because in modern planes, when you close, no, 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 when you close the door, it doesn't, you have to slide the thingy before it'll say occupied, right? There's, like, a little slide thingy. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I try to avoid going to the bathroom on an same airplane. Same here, same here. But at any rate, I guess we don't fly enough or fly long enough, but... Um, anyway, she was, so she, so she was trying to open the door, um, but she's just kind of trying to crack it open, I guess, in case somebody was in there or whatever. She was trying to do her duty, but didn't want to interrupt somebody else doing their duty. (laughs) Get it? Yes, I get it. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) unfortunately, Judy saw something worse than a passenger with their pants down. She saw the lavatory was full of light gray smoke. Mm. Yeah. Judy did not panic, but she asked the other flight attendant, Laura Kayama, to go get the chief flight attendant, Sergio Benetti. Like, okay, we got to take this up the chain of command. Something's going on here. There's, There's smoke in the bathroom. So Laura did, and Sergio went into the lavatory to take a look. And just like Judy, Sergio saw smoke, but it wasn't so light gray anymore. It was becoming thick black smoke, so a little more worrisome. Well, so I imagine smoke in a plane is just disturbing all Not the way good. around. Not good, yeah. Sergio... It's something I never want to see <laughs> no. in a plane ever. No. Especially not in air, but, you know, <laughs> just in general. Sergio responded by grabbing a carbon dioxide fire extinguisher. Um, and so he was about to spray this fire extinguisher, but... Laura, like, very smartly, like, got all the passengers at the back of the plane to move up so they wouldn't be near the smoke or near the extinguisher fumes, you know. They had plenty of room in the plane. Yes, they did. They sure did. So, uh, so they, she moved the passengers, and Sergio went ahead and sprayed the lavatory all down with the extinguisher while Laura opened air vents to help ventilate the cabin because between the smoke and the fire extinguisher is probably already mm-hmm. getting pretty bleh in there. Um, and Judy went into the cockpit to tell the flight crew about the fire. It was 7.02 p.m. at this point, so all of these events are starting to happen pretty quickly, pretty close together. Captain Cameron took a fire on board very seriously, as he should. Uh, wait a second. Oh, yes. Okay. I was like, how did he know about the fire? And I literally just said that Judy told him. Okay. <laughs> Judy told Captain Cameron and we may, Mr. We may. <laughs> I don't know. I like that name. About the fire. So. We'll name our next cat that. <laughs> Mr. We may. Mr. We may. <laughs> um, so Captain Cameron took a fire on board very seriously, as he should, and as any good pilot would, I imagine. And he put on an oxygen mask, which I imagine is a very good move for a pilot because the pilot, Still more than anyone, yes, cannot afford to succumb to smoke inhalation or everyone is screwed. Now, I didn't see any information where, like, he um, deployed the oxygen masks for everybody else, but he may have just been taking a preca- an, an additional precaution for himself only. You know, just like I said, because... Or if it got worse, he he wanted to already have his oxygen mask on. I don't know. Anyway, he told Wimay to go back into the cabin and look at the fire himself or the the smoke. So Wimay immediately followed orders, headed to the back of the plane. Unfortunately, by this point, despite Sergio using the fire extinguisher, smoke was starting to fill the back of the plane. So it was coming out of the lavatory and into the cabin. Sergio told Wimei that he had been trying to douse the fire, but he couldn't see the source of it. So he was just sort of spraying willy-nilly because he couldn't see where it was coming from. So, and no one had seen flames at this point. Only people, like Judy and um, Sergio and Wimei were only seeing smoke, and that was it. 
So, let's take a time out to play a little guessing game. It's 1983, and there's a fire in an airplane lavatory. If you had to guess a hazard that would cause a fire in the lavatory, what would you reckon the likely cause was? Somebody smoking a cigarette. Ding, ding. Yeah. You got it, yeah. Because it was legal. (laughs) If if somebody's 20 years old listening, like, what do you mean you can smoke a cigarette on a... Yes. Yes, you could. The, uh... The very first time I ever flew, uh, which was going to Disney World, I think I was like eight or nine, um, I remember going to the back of the plane with my dad, where the smoking section was, but that's where all like the sightseeing part of the plane was. Uh-huh. And I vividly remember just that part of the plane just being a smoke box. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't see them really anymore. But still, on, you can tell how old a plane is if it has uh, the ashtray thing on the seat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't really see them that no, off, thankfully, because no. that means it's a fucking old yeah. plane. Well, I think I meant to look this up, and I didn't. I think it was like the mid-'80s when it became illegal to smoke on a plane. It was probably around the, t- the, t- the time the first time I'd flown because I'd never, I'd never seen it again after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you were eight or nine, that would have been, like, yeah, like, mid-80s. Yeah, it would have been, like, I think it was 86. Okay. the first time we went to Disney World. I feel like I remember seeing that it wasn't too long after I was born. It was within a few years of when I was born. So, yeah, that would, mid-late 80s, something like that. I should have looked that up. But anyway. Um, So, yes, smoking on planes was still very much legal, at least in the U.S. I'm guessing. Oh, I'm sure. The rest of the world as well. Oh, yeah. Um, But anyway. So... Sergio was no dummy and knew that generally the most likely cause of a fire in the lavatory of a plane was a cigarette. So um, so he had thought, okay, if it's a cigarette, it's probably in the trash bin. Like, that's where it was common to happen. I guess people were just stupid and tried to put their cigarettes <laughs> yeah, out in the trash can. On a plane? I don't know. It's really dumb. Not only everybody else, but myself in the process. Yes, yes. So, anyway. um, But he told Wimei he didn't think that that was the cause of this fire. Whether he was right or not, we'll get into in a little bit. But um, Captain Cameron, despite Sergio believing that it was not a cigarette that caused the fire... um, Still figured that the most likely culprit was a cigarette, because, again, that was the most common cause of lavatory fires, and apparently they were not entirely uncommon, which is just awful. That's just dumb. Yeah. Um, So he figured, like, Captain Cameron figured, okay, some asshole put their cigarette in the bathroom trash can, they'll take care of it, it's pretty straightforward, whatever, I'm going to fly this plane. He figured Sergio would be able to put it out. We may would be um, properly communicating with him how things were going. But anyway, now just then, Sergio came into the cockpit and said he thought the smoke was clearing up. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe that the extinguishing efforts worked. Um, so for a minute, everything seemed like, okay, no, no need to panic. Everything's all right. Well, that's when the master caution light went uh, on in the cockpit. And of all the lights in a cockpit, I would imagine a master caution light would be a pretty scary one to see. Um, And in fact, a master caution light indicates that there is a major loss of electrical power, which again, I would imagine is a very bad thing in a plane. Captain Cameron responded by contacting air traffic control in Indianapolis because... They were starting they, to come just, over. At this point, they've just got to get on the ground. Well, yeah, basically. So they were... <laughs> get on the ground in a fashionable way. <laughs> well, in a safe way. Not hopefully. by crashing. Yes, yes. So at this point, they were flying... The reason he contacted Indianapolis was because they were flying... I'm not sure of the exact flight path, but like in the Kentucky, Indiana area. Okay. So that's... Um, Remember I said that there was a Kentucky connection yes. here. So uh, so that's why he was talking to um, Indianapolis Air Traffic Control. So uh, he told the air traffic control in Indianapolis that they had a, quote, electrical problem. So that was what he was telling them, uh, which makes sense because if the master caution light means that there's an electric problem, that's what he was relaying. 
But he didn't mention the fire in the bathroom part. So okay. I guess maybe he thought the two were unrelated. If he thought, oh, well, it was a simple issue with the um, cigarette, you know, that's under control now because uh, Sergio said he thought he that the smoke was clearing. This is something different, maybe. Um, but then, uh, in what couldn't be a good sign, Flight 797 dropped off the air traffic control radar displays. Mm. Thankfully, they were able to relocate them by switching to the primary radar. So it was just something weird was going on with the radar, or I don't, I'm actually not sure. It just obviously, there's a lot of weird shit going on here. Now it's 7.07 p.m., so this is within 16 minutes of that first pop sound, Mm -hmm. and like with less than 10 minutes after the first, like, passengers smelling funny smells from the bathroom, um... We may went to check on the fire again. He was able, like, like at the actual source, he was able to get the lavatory door um, open all the way this time. So I guess Sergio was right that the smoke had cleared. Um, wait, no, I was wrong on that. I wrote this too fast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some of the, I totally contradicted myself, but I remember this. He he went to open the lavatory door. Um, so I guess he was able to get close enough to the lavatory. So the smoke must have cleared enough for him to be able to get all the way back there. Um, and he tried opening the door, but the handle was hot to the touch. And uh, he sure. That cannot yeah. be a good sign. Um, they tell they tell you in like fire safety training, like if you're trying to escape from a fire, touch the door handle first. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so very wisely, we may decided not to burn his hand or force the door open. Um, so it stayed shut. He told the flight attendants to keep the door closed and return to the cockpit. And at this point, we may was rather nervous and justifiably so, I would gather. And he said to Captain Cameron, he, quote, didn't like what's happening. I think we better go down, okay? End quote. So he's like, yeah, let's let's land because I'm not liking where this is going. So thankfully, Captain, Captain Cameron picked up on Wimei's panic. And he understood it to mean that things were not so great and that he better go ahead and land the plane. So um, now, as you may have gathered... By the fact that they were contacting Indianapolis, they were not yet in Toronto. So obviously they were requesting an emergency landing, not like yeah, they not, were nowhere near where they not hey to guys, be. we're just gonna stop it and no. see how things are going no. in the old uh, any uns in the cornfields in the cornfields and we just felt like checking it out. And no, our plane's about to fucking e- go down yeah. for real. We just need to get on the fucking ground. Right. Clear off an interstate if you need to. Right. So just as Captain Cameron was getting ready to contact air traffic control again to request an emergency landing, another very ominous sounding light went off. So we had the master caution light. Well, now the master warning light went off, which sounds weird that there's a master caution and a master warning, but I guess it's all just terminology. So It might as well be the you're about to be fucked and the <laughs> you're about to be fucked light. It might as well just say that. Right? Right? So, so yeah, it, it's... Now you're fucked. That combination really doesn't sound no. promising. So Again, two things I never want to experience in my life. No. Hearing or seeing those lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Captain Cameron ordered a switch to battery power. Now, sidebar. I didn't know that planes had batteries, but I guess it makes sense. Like, would you have thought that? Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily, but I guess, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean... Cars have batteries. For, you know, if they run out of fuel, stuff like that. I mean, I guess, I've guess i never thought about it, but I guess so. Yeah. I mean, not? what are you going to do if the power fails? Obviously, there's yeah. a backup system, so I guess mm-hmm. it's batteries. Anyway... Um, in spite of the attempt to switch to battery power, I guess it was too late on some level or something because some of the electrical systems just started to fail on the plane, including the elevator trim system. So the trim system is a pretty important part of the plane. It's basically these relatively small but very key parts that are on the wings 
and the rudder and the elevator of a plane. So the elevator is the part of the plane tail that's horizontal. You know, like it's got like a, mm-hmm. a cross sort of a thing. Um, and uh, so the the rudder being the part that is vertical. So so it's like the the rudder is the vertical part. The elevator is the horizontal part. Um, and then we all know what wings are. Anyway, they all have a, tri- a trim system. Specifically, not having the elevator trim working makes the, a plane basically almost impossible to control on a descent, which is exactly what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. They were trying to descend and land the plane. So Captain Cameron and we may had their work cut out for them. So... From what I gathered, it turned their job into basically like a wrestling match with the plane. I'm sure. It was like a physically difficult thing to well, do. Well, like the, I mean, we like, co- we covered the same thing uh, on the uh, Japan Japan Airlines yes, flight. Yes, the JAL flight. Because mm-hmm. they lost the, it wasn't the rudder that they, they lost no. something. Yeah. That. Um, controlled the pitch of the plane. Yes. And that's why it was... Yeah, they were pitching a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... So this sounds like it's something, a pretty similar uh, yeah. uh, dilemma. Yes, a loss of control of the 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 up and downness of the plane, the verticalness of the plane. Verticality. The verticality. <laughs> yes. So at 7.08 p.m., Captain Cameron yelled out a mayday to the Mm. Indianapolis air traffic control. The controllers told him to execute an emergency landing at the Cincinnati slash Northern Kentucky International Airport. So Cincinnati is extreme south, um, Ohio, and Kentucky is across the Ohio River from from that. So it's roughly-ish halfway between DFW and YYZ, a little closer to Toronto, so maybe more like two-thirds of the way, something like that. And what an emergency landing it was. Because the electrical system failure affected a bunch of the flight instruments, poor Captain Cameron and we may were basically flying blind. And the air traffic controllers literally had to watch them on the radar and call out, like, go left now, go right. Yeah. 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 So uh, to get to the Cincinnati airport. At one point, Captain Cameron said to air traffic control, quote, advise people on the ground, we're going to need fire trucks, end quote. So apparently he was like, shit, it's the fire. If, if ever there's an emergency landing, that's probably standard operating procedure. I would procedure. imagine. So, and rescue crews. Yeah. All, yeah. The, the, all yeah. that stuff's ready to go. Mm-hmm. I would hope. I, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you never yeah. know. Air traffic control confirmed they had trucks standing by and asked Captain Cameron for the number of people and the amount of fuel on board. I imagine to sort of assess the situation, like what are we looking at if you crash, all that stuff. Or how heavy is the plane going to be coming down? That too, yeah. Yeah. Um, And Captain Cameron responded, quote, we don't have time. It's getting worse here. So he was just otherwise occupied trying to land this plane. He's like, this is just going to be bad, just assume the worst. And if his instruments are going out, he might not know how much fuel he's got. Yeah, that too. So by this point, things were starting to get dicey in the cabin. Now, we've just been talking about the the flight deck. Now here's about the cabin. So obviously the passengers could tell there was a fire. You could smell it. And the flight and see it probably at this point. And the flight attendants made it their job to keep everyone as calm as possible. And apparently they succeeded, like for, by all accounts. Um, like yeah, we've we've done this like five or six times. This is <laughs> well, our this is our tenth emergency landing. That's a huge part of flight attendants' job is well, to yeah. keep everybody calm in the case of an emergency. They're they're job is to make sure everybody's okay and everybody's staying calm, yeah. which they apparently did very well. And if you ever see a flight attendant get rattled, that's it's when bad. you know you're fucked. It's bad, yeah. Which I've never seen, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. I've been on a couple flights where they've the captain has told, okay, told uh, them to sit told down. Them to sit down. That's always scary. That's when you know you're going to hit some bad turbulence. Yeah, because they can't be standing. No. Yeah. But so. yeah, if I ever saw a flight attendant panic, then I'd be like, okay. I would just light up a cigarette and be like, okay, I'm going to die. Fuck it. What are you, you going to do? <laughs> as long as you don't throw it in the trash bin. I will not. Okay. I'll throw it to, at the person next to me. <laughs> that would be me. I know. That's mean. Because <laughs> somebody would be like, put that out. <laughs> it's going to kill you. It's like, no, this plane crash is going to kill me. <laughs> it's actually a federal offense now, I think. I think to it is. On a plane, so. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. 
Um, so they were able, the flight attendants were able to get everyone in the front of the plane. So well, all yes. of the passengers were fitting in the first 12 rows of the plane. I was going to say, it is a, it's a pretty good thing this wasn't a, a fully booked flight. Yes. It was about, a, what, a third full? A 41 out of 115. So, yeah, so yeah, just, just over about, a third. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it should have been, well, not should have been, it probably was pretty easy just to move people up front as close as they could be yeah. to the cabin. And as far away from mm-hmm. the uh, the lavatory as Although possible. Although there's only, you're in a freaking aluminum tube, there's only... Only so far you can get away. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to come for you at some point. Yes. So the flight attendants um, instructed the passengers on how to open the exit row doors, which was not standard practice back then, even though they do tell people now who are sitting in exit rows, you know, like you'll be the ones who have to open the doors in case of an emergency. If you're not comfortable with this, yeah, you know, they'll give you a, they'll give you the option of exactly. giving up that seat. Exactly. So they were instructing the passengers how to open the exit road doors. Um, but in spite of the scary situation and pan, the, just the panic inducingness of the situation, the flight attendants were able to keep everyone calm. According to one survivor, there was quote, no panic at all. The crew did a good job. End quote. So it was not, there was no um, ancillary issue of um, panic to be dealt with there. So after 12 minutes of wrestling with the out of control plane, Captain Cameron and we may somehow managed to make a landing at Cincinnati, blowing out four tires in the process. So it was not an easy landing. yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, they landed and no one was killed in the landing. Okay. However, we do know there's a body count of 23, so we mustn't get our hopes up at Uh. this juncture. Firefighters rushed to the plane, and Captain Cameron and we may begin going through the emergency engine shutdown list, and the flight attendants and passengers opened the doors over the wings of the plane, opened the emergency exits, deployed the inflatable slides, and the passengers and flight attendants began sliding down the slides to safety. So now, as for the pilots, they weren't able to get into the cabin because of the smoke and the heat. So things had gotten pretty bad at this point in the cabin. And they didn't have the option of leaving the flight deck. So um, we may bailed out through the co-pilot's emergency window, which I didn't even know there was such a thing, but apparently there is. And so he just, like, up and out of there and did exactly what he should have, got the hell out of that plane via his little emergency exit window. Um, Okay, as for Captain Cameron, he was a 51-year-old guy who had just gone through a hugely stressful and physically exhausting ordeal, and he passed out. Oh. Uh, Firefighters did (laughs) did something both very smart and very funny. they shot their firefighting foam through the emergency window right into, <laughs> right into, into Cameron's face. <laughs> hey, wake Which, up, motherfucker. <laughs> that's the funny part. The smart part is that it worked and brought yeah. him back to consciousness. Yeah. And he was able to open his own emergency window and fall to safety. So, and we may, well, so he fell to the ground and we may dragged him to safety. So now at this point, some of the passengers, all of the flight attendants, and the, the pilot and the first officer are all safe. Okay. Unfortunately, Captain Cameron was the last person to make it out of the plane alive. So at this point, it was about 90 seconds after their emergency landing. And the fire, which was already getting worse, obviously, um, had been sufficiently fueled by the rush of air from opening the exit, oh, sure. exit yeah. doors above the wings. And so the the fire flashed over. So I think that's also called a, a backdraft. Yeah, we kind of yeah, we we, went over we, that. We did um, talk about yeah. that a little bit, yeah. So this means that all of the fuel, the oxygen, other combustible material in the plane exploded almost simultaneously. Um, there is a video of the aftermath of the fire on YouTube, and it looks like the plane has, like, bites taken out of it. Like some sure. sort of giant, I don't know, dinosaur, like, took chunks out of the top in the front, the back, and the middle of the plane. Like, like it 
it's really weird. Anyway, um, unfortunately, that meant that the 23 passengers, so exactly half of the people who were on that plane, who were still on the plane who had not yet escaped, were killed. Damn. Some by smoke inhalation and some by burns from the explosion. Oh, man. 21 were Canadian and two were American. One was apparently a Canadian folk singer named Stan Rogers. So for all our Canadian friends listening, maybe you know who that is. I'm sorry to say I do not. Poor Stan. The plane was totally destroyed in the explosion, and many of the bodies of the victims were severely burned. Yeah. As one survivor put it, there's like survivor interviews on YouTube too that you can see, and he said they were, quote, Burnt to a crisp. Mm. Looked like mannequins. Worst thing I ever seen. Melted into the seats. Oh, God. Yeah. A couple of the victims were near the back of the plane, which indicates that they became disoriented in the sure. explosion. So it it wasn't a pleasant end for the 23 people, unfortunately. God. And they made it to the ground. They made it they to were, the ground. They were just... And half of the people were, were off the plane. They were just the unlucky half that... Damn, that sucks. Doesn't it? You go through all that. All of that, survive it, and then... Yeah. That's even worse. Well, and it's not like they had the option of not opening those exit doors. No, they had to get out. (laughs) Yeah, so... Or maybe they should have just opened one. I mean, but who knows? I mean, there's... Then maybe fewer people would have gotten out before it backed up. Yeah, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. So... Even though this was an Air Canada flight, it occurred on U.S. soil, literally because the plane landed. Um, so the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, was the investigating authority. And even though the plane was basically destroyed, the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data reporter recorder were easily recovered and intact. So they had all of the information that they needed from, from those devices. What they found was that there was a bunch that was fishy about this plane. For one thing, there was... (laughs) Yeah, to start. Yeah, for one thing, there was a bunch of missing insulation in the wiring in the lavatory in the back of the plane, but they couldn't determine whether that was a cause of the fire or a result of the fire. Sure. So if it had already... If these wires had already been uninsulated or if the insulation burnt off in the fire... This plane, the actual aircraft, also had a history of issues in the recent past. For one thing, there had been 76 separate maintenance reports filed on the plane in the past year, which is a bit excessive for a stable aircraft. Some problems with the electrical system were traced back to 1979, when most of the rear of the plane had to be completely rebuilt after the rear bulkhead exploded. So... (laughs) Just like the Japan Airlines flight we did. Right, yeah. So (laughs) A lot of similarities between these two. Yeah, it... it, it, A much slower death toll, but yeah. Yeah. So the plane was in flight when this bulkhead exploded back in 79, but no one died, and... But there were some injuries, and one person seriously injured, but... As a result of that incident in 1979, extensive rewiring was required. So, like, they basically had to rebuild the wiring in the back of the plane. Why not just scrap the damn plane and (laughs) build a new one? I I mean... Costs, benefits, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it's not cheap to build a plane, but shit. Yeah. Um, Investigators really couldn't find that that was the actual, for sure, issue that caused this fire. Um, But to be fair... That's because a lot of the wiring was just completely destroyed well, in the fire. Well, most so, of the plane is destroyed, so you're yeah, not going to... Yeah, Really, the only thing that they can get is just the flight... Rec- the only data they can really get right. is the flight recording system right. and, and the black box. Right. So, and they, they were... Obviously, there, there are forensics that can find the point of origin of a fire. Sure. But in this case, they honestly were just not able to. So... In August of 1984, the NTSB released their final report like a year later, and it co- they couldn't pinpoint the cause of the fire. So it was determ- said that it was a, a fire of undetermined origin. So just hmm. there was a fire. Um, I mean, they obviously could tell it came from the back of the plane, the lavatory sure. by all accounts. But 
Um, but whether it was actually a cigarette or wiring problems, who knows? Or maybe the or cigarette both. caused the wiring problems, or, or the you know the electrical problems because the maybe the wiring was an aggravating factor. But they really just didn't know. The report, however, did call out the flight attendants and the flight crew. They said that Judy, Sergio, Laura, and we may underestimated the severity of the fire and caused confusion by giving Captain Cameron conflicting reports about the fire. And they were highly critical of Captain Cameron himself, saying he didn't properly ascertain the exact circumstances of the fire from the flight crew and that he waited too long to initiate emergency descent. And Cameron's response was, quote, All I know is that I did the best I could. I'm very sorry the people that didn't get off didn't get off because we spent a lot of time and effort getting them there. Sure. And they're essentially, they're flying blind. Yeah. They didn't have complete control of the plane. Well, that wasn't the part they were picking on them for. Oh, I understand. But I'm saying Mm -hmm. that's stress for them. Oh, of course. Yeah. Plus not being able to completely control the plane. It's somewhat of a miracle that they even got it to where it was. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the blowing out all four tires, that was probably going to happen because they didn't have well, full control. Well, four tires, I think they have more tires than that on a plane. I don't know. I don't know. Because they have multiple. On, on bigger planes, yeah. They, they, have, they have more. Okay. I think they have more than just the. But just the fact that they made it to the ground. Yes, is pretty. And that people did survive. I mean, actually, everybody. I mean, that, that was technically a plane crash. I mean, it crashed on the runway. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And that everybody survived the initial crash. That's true. Uh-huh. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But that's what they were saying is that the the NTSB was claiming that the time lost getting it down to the ground and then the fire had time to get worse. So if they had landed sooner, it's possible everyone could have gotten off the flight before it um it exploded before the fire actually hit the flashpoint. But, um, or flashover or whatever. But I, I see what you mean by it looks like like a monster just ate chunks, chunks yeah. out of the plane. Yeah. That's pretty, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's a, actually it's, not it's, the middle, it's more the back and the front. If you just looked at the damn plane, you'd be like, oh, nobody survived this. Yeah, it looks so, bad. Jesus. Yeah. So there was a backlash against the NTSB and their report by commercial pilots and other airline personnel. Um, and they petitioned the NTSB to revise their report. Basically, they're like, we don't see where these the, the crew could have done any better than what they did. You know, right. uh, why are you calling them out? Why are you blaming them? Um, and we may sent them a very detailed report that defended the crew and their actions, like point by point. Like, no, we were we were genuinely doing our job this was just a difficult and confusing situation you know um the in 1986 the ntsb did revise their report but basically they just included we may's information they just added like an addendum or whatever but they didn't change their much of their opinions although they did use gentler language about the lack of or the the poor decision-making that they were accusing them of. So, hmm. um, The aftermath is that the NTSB recommended several safety steps to the FAA, the Federal um, Aviation Administration here in the U.S., after this tragedy. For one, they suggested that the FAA move along their plans, which were already in motion, to require smoke detectors in plane laboratories. <laughs> yes, that's right. At the they time of this, think, exp- they didn't think to have those before this. No, at the, well, they did. They did. The plans were already in motion prior to this fire. It's just the F, the NTSB was like, okay, move those plans along. Clearly, we need smoke detectors in these lavatories. Um, and then, obviously, later they came to their senses and were like, maybe we should just not let people smoke on the plane. Yeah. They also suggested installing fire extinguishers right next to the trash cans and lavatories because so, it was so, such a common thing. It's like, I mean, and not like literally every plane, but, you know, relatively common. Um, and they also uh, recommended that uh, they review their flight crew fire training and evacuation procedures to make sure that it, like everything was drilled the right way something that i found a little interesting 
was that the flight attendants all made it off the plane. I was going to mention that, too. Um, but maybe that that was procedure, that they, would that be they down get out the, first and yeah, kind of guide everybody along. Maybe. So that's kind of why I passed on. Yeah. But I, I noticed that, too. Or... <clears throat> they 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 did it not maybe they were like okay we'll we'll be the first ones down to like you said like encourage everyone else to like I don't think it's immediately something nefarious like they were trying no, to save themselves no, no, no. or whatever um, but that could have been part and this is all speculation but it could have been part of what why they I know I'm speculating <laughs> um, why they uh, recommended better drills for flight crews because maybe that wasn't procedure, but they just hadn't been drilled enough or well enough or something. But yeah. anyway, I, yeah, I thought that was curious myself, but yeah, I would, but yeah, because you'd think there'd be one person on the Staying, ground and yeah. then one person still on the plane. Yeah, yeah, that would be. My and they had thought, three of them, so they could have kept. Oh yeah, that's true. One, yeah, easily. I mean. Thankfully for those three flight attendants, none of them were on board. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that would have been better if one of them had no, died. No. But, you know. Um, and my guess is they have a little bit of survivor's guilt over the whole I'm, thing anyway. I so um, they also suggest, the NTSB also suggested that all passengers be instructed on how to open the emergency exert, uh, exits. Exerts. <laughs> exits. Exits. So to make that a standard thing, which they did. Like that became a thing. If you sit in the exit row, you are taught how or shown what is expected of you so that's that's a thing and they fast tracked uh and that they they also recommended that they fast track previous plans for strong emergency track lights on the aisle um, oh yeah yeah which they, they have do now. have and they yeah. tell us about every time they give the safety thing at the beginning um and that they use fire blocking seat materials, so that the seat ma- seats be made out of a material that's going to block physically block fire, so that it wouldn't it would help be a, if the, that it had would, been it the would case. Help as a barrier. Yes, it would have yeah. helped be a barrier. I mean, whether that would have saved anybody or not, who knows? But interestingly, when I googled Air Canada Flight Seven Ninety Seven, the first result was a currently scheduled flight. Air Canada Flight 797, so they didn't retire the oh, flight number. It's still interesting. a flight. So a flight that I will never get on. Uh, it's a little <laughs> all the lightning, lightning striking twice, and all that. That's but. true. That's true. So that, my friends, was the story of Air Canada Flight 797. And that sucked. Quite the tale, huh? Yeah, because you go through that whole ordeal because you know you're shitting your pants in the air while this is going on. Although they, they just, all kept very calm, sure, which is great. But you're just hoping, like you're just praying, just to make it to the ground yeah. in one piece, and then and, and then, then you, you do. do, and you're like, okay, yeah. all right, good deal. We're we're this home free. We just have to it. get out. Yeah, Fuck. and then half of you don't. Yeah. Oh. That's and brutal. then not only that, but it's not like. Ugh. That's a horrible would you rather. Would you rather die in a plane crash or in a plane fire? Oh, I'll take the crash. Yeah, probably. Easily. Because it's because it, you're you're dead pretty much instantaneously. Yeah. Not always though. Not always, but like that JAL flight. Oh yeah, that's true. That was yeah, there brutal. Were, uh I'll take neither. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the right choice, I think. Seeing as how I'm gonna be getting on a plane in a couple months to go to <laughs> Wisconsin. Enough. <laughs> and doing a, a lot more airports. and doing a lot more flying than I originally planned to yeah, do. Yeah, that's true. You're going to be flying a lot. So, I promise not to uh cover any flights too close to when you're you'll be flying. I'll still think of that scene in Alive while I'm up in the air. I I <laughs> well, I, I, had I always to do with that. I always do. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, 1992-93, the movie Alive, which I'm this is probably something we should cover at some point. Oh, we point. will. We will. Um, but that is the rugby players or whatever sport they played. Or it was an Ecuador? Something, something like that. An Ecuadorian and rugby team, something like that. <laughs> no, I don't, I I don't know. know. <laughs> Clearly we need to research it. Anyway, that is that movie is about their plane going down in the Andes Mountains. I think so. It was in South America for sure. And then they were the survivors were out there for a little over two months and they had to hike the, anyway. But that movie had like the very first like it looks dated now but when it came out it has like the first like very realistic looking plane crash that I've ever seen in a movie mm. and so 
like ever since then when I'm on a flight. That's what you think of. I always think of that. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I'm not usually flying over mountains, so it makes it better. There you go. <laughs> But yeah, so that I I had never heard of that disaster no. before, and it's it is just like a, there's an odd I don't know while I was writing it I felt there was an odd humor to the story, but I don't know why. Yeah, I, I don't think know it's why just how it's not it's not like funny haha. It's just like this weird series of events that and and it's like maybe it was somebody throwing a cigarette into a trash can. Maybe it was just the fact that the, the fucking plane had exploded f- a few years earlier and got and it rebuilt. Wasn't, it wasn't rewired properly. Right? And, or, um, and I like the names. I like those. Judy, Laura, Sergio, Captain Cameron, and Claude Wimay. I don't know. There's just, and, and then they make it all the way to the ground after trying so hard. They finally make it. They wake up the captain with the foam. Which I yeah, think is really funny. Yeah. And and then half of them die. It's just like, it's that, it's kind of an irony, I guess, maybe. It's just like a shit. All yeah. that. Yeah. You know. Very much so. So, so yeah, that was that story. Yes. And uh, no more plane crash um, topics until... After I come home, <laughs> after I come after home from Green Bay, after the Bills Packers game, yes, yes. If there are any uh, fellow Bills fans listening to this who wind up being in Green Bay on September thirtieth, I think that's a, or September what about 29th? Packers fans? What if there's some cheeseheads out there? Well, we're going to I know, Lambeau but Fields. So. <laughs> no, no, I mean listeners, oh, listeners. Okay, <laughs> duh, there will yeah. be cheeseheads there. I'm saying. <laughs> I, you were just saying if there are any Bills fans, but what if we have Packers fans yeah, who are going to be there? I guess. Would you meet with them? Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> You're just less less enthused about it. Well, I mean, you, you know, they have, like, a great history and, like, a great... <laughs> and, like, championships and, like... You, ju- you all just feel s- inadequate. All sorts of stuff that Buffalo will probably never have. <laughs> are you a little jealous? No, just kind of ashamed. <laughs> But anyway, if so there yes, are any we'll, we'll Packers or Bills fans that listen to this podcast and happen to be in Green Bay for the Bills-Packers game week four, I will be there. Yes, you will. I will probably be the only person wearing a Marshawn Lynch Buffalo Bills jersey. For those of you who forgot that he played his first three seasons with Buffalo. Or cared. <laughs> they care. Uh, the Bills fans care. Yes. Bills fans care about everything bills related you guys are really <laughs> loyal we'll call it we'll we'll, we'll say something nice we'll, we'll call we'll, you loyal we'll call it loyal with a tinge of sadness <laughs> <laughs> not not even a tinge like with a like an overdose of sadness <laughs> it's like a sad sandwich <laughs> yes it is like a sad sandwich <laughs> okay well that was a really shitty episode <laughs> Shitty in the in the context. Yeah. I, I thought we were okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rate and, us. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. And so did Demetrius, <laughs> yes, apparently. apparently. He, thought, he thought we were okay. But that was uh this has been another episode of All Bad Things. Once again, that was the Air, Air Canada, Canada Flight 797. Flight 797. Air Canada Flight 797. That crash landed. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky Airport. Mm-hmm. And... Half of the people made it, half of the people didn't. Yeah. But not because of the landing. Nope. Because of either the wire or cigarette fire in the bathroom. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, anywho... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. You've already said everything. I think you can just... Uh, okay. Outroduce us. Outroduce us. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>